Ian Thorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on a third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Cavanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen we are back for more off the podium as we continue our series and wrap up our first round of interviews that we have with Olympians past and present. And today I'm happy to be here to talk to another Canadian who are the athletes, of course, that I was following in the games, being Canadian myself. And I found it personally exciting to have this guest on the show today, Catherine Pendrell, who won the bronze medal in the women's cross-country mountain biking back in Rio, uh, just because she had a very interesting story start to finish in her entire Olympic career. I mean, she's had Pan Am Games and World Championships, Commonwealth Games, but as far as the Olympics goes, it's been a very dramatic and up and down journey for her. Uh, She competed all the way back in Beijing, had a completely wildly different experience when she competed in London, and then uh, a big comeback in Rio this past year. And this bronze medal really was one of the most dramatic finishes that you could imagine. Uh, the, the final medal for the Games for Canada, which eventually did tie the record. And we do get to talk to her and get her take on being that final medal for the Games, the one that tied our record. As well, just as we did in the Evan Dunphy interview in the beginning, we go back to one of our favorite segments that we had during the Rio Olympics, which was the I Am Canadian questionnaire that some athletes got to fill out that we read on the air every single day. And Catherine didn't get to participate in that, so we get her answers to that. Uh, that questionnaire, all the absurd questions as well as the more athletic-centered questions. And one of the most interesting things is that finish for the Games uh, in Rio and how close it was with her own teammate coming into that final bronze medal position. And she even gives us a little bit of a tidbit on what happened off-camera that we didn't get to see, a dramatic moment that happened right before that, as well as just how close this race was to being an even more disappointing finish than what she experienced in London. So here it is, our interview with Olympic bronze medalist and three-time Olympian Catherine Pendrill. And welcome back to another interview brought to you by Off the Podium. And uh, I'm pleased here to bring you another Canadian interview since those are the ones that I was most interested in during the Olympics. And uh, very special interview today because uh, I'm happy not only to be talking with a three-time Olympian, but uh, an Olympic bronze medalist from the women's cross-country cycling, but somebody who also was the final medalist of the Games who helped Canada set a record, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point. So we're very pleased to be joined today by Catherine Pendrill. Thank you for joining us here this morning. Thanks. Happy to be here. And uh, I guess, first of all, just uh, start us out. We're coming right now from maybe February in 2017. I mean, the Olympics are a couple of months removed. Uh, is this a bit of an off-season for you, or where are you at right now in your season, your career, or your training? Sure, yeah. I mean, that 
differs for each athlete, kind of where they are in their career and their progression. But for myself, I've, I've been to three Olympics. I'm not sure yet if I'll, I'll go to Tokyo, but I'm not counting it out. So right now I am focused on having a great 2017. Uh, just because it's not an Olympic year doesn't mean that there's not a World Championships to win or World Cups to win. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the thick of my winter training. I'm actually down in Sedona, Arizona right now just trying to log a, some more base miles and some mountain bike miles when it's pretty snowy at home. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that I think uh, we talked about the beginning of uh, the, the Rio Olympics, how I, I think most Canadians maybe have, not I won't want to say low expectations of Canada, but I mean, it's not exactly like we have a summer environment 24-7. I mean, if you're in BC, it's probably a little bit better not counting this time of year. <laughs> um, it's probably been uh, worse there in BC than it is in, uh, in in Winnipeg at this time of year, at least for 2017. But uh, how hard is it to train for so something like a summer sport where you may only have six months of thawed weather throughout the year? Sure, yeah. And that's why Team Canada chose Ice in Our Veins as their theme because <laughs> feeling that it is winter that makes us tough and honestly I think it can be a real advantage because training when it comes down to closer to race season yes it is about the specificity of training but I really think that if you embrace it as an advantage it can be an advantage to get more training variety in especially in that off season I'm doing all my volume on cross-country ski, so I'm learning new skills. I'm giving myself mental and physical variety change in my training load. Um, I'm doing very focused work on the trainer indoors. So, yes, there are things that would be a bit better if I was outdoors, like being able to stay sharp on the mountain bike skills. But the more years that you have under you, the uh, the easier it is to just bring those skills right back up to speed pretty quickly. And yes, being in BC is an advantage because in a typical winter, I can travel from my home in Kamloops four hours to the coast and, and get on trails. They might be pretty wet, but uh, still rideable. And you said you're in Arizona right now. Uh, how much time do you spend there or do you kind of move around and like, like you said, an advantage is to be able to try out different environments. I mean, how long are you going to be in Arizona and then where is it from there? Yeah, so I'm only in Arizona for a week. Um, the last couple of winters, I've tried to spend a week out of every month actually on my mountain bike, and whether that's just getting to the coast in BC if it was good or, or going somewhere in the southern US. Um, and then I actually, I'll travel back home and then go straight to Victoria where hopefully the snow has melted and we've got a two-week training camp uh, at the end of which we've got a race actually our first race of the year at uh, Bear Mountain Resort in Victoria which stepped up in the last couple of years to be our national training center the first time we've ever had a, a mountain bike national training center now I think cross-country cycling I mean such a fascinating sport to actually watch because there's so many little obstacles and everything like that um, it, it's hard to imagine that this is something where somebody just picks up and says yeah let me enter a race like this how do you enter this sport Sure, yeah. I think uh, it's like everything. You, you start at a grassroots level and then you keep progressing. So for myself, I grew up in New Brunswick and I did the, the Velo MB race circuit. And from there, I went to uh, BC and uh, BC Cups, Canada Cups, US Cups and World Cups. So there is a progression and it's. Uh, I always feel that you should be racing at a level where you can fight for the podium because I think that's where you find the best of yourself and are going to make the most progression is when you're challenged but you're still motivated by what you can achieve and uh, so it's just a matter of working your way progressively up the ladder. 
Was this your original sport, or did you get into this something else? I mean, I know, like, especially here in Winnipeg, you know, Clara Hughes is a huge deal and you know, kind of goes from speed skating to cycling and everything. Uh, was this always your sport that you wanted to be in? No, not at all. I grew up riding horses, and, and that was my thing for sure. I wasn't good at any of the school sports, so when I found that there was this sport that, that didn't involve a ball, <laughs> I gravitated towards it. And, uh, you know, it's like I knew that uh, just from various things I had done, even like the Terry Fox run, that I had endurance. I could get to the ball. I could run for a long time, but, you know, I hadn't f- found the right sport for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it turned out that that was cycling and mountain biking and just the people in the sport are what kept me in it and, and helped me get to where I am today. Did you have an ambition, like at a really young age, that you wanted to compete at an Olympic level or anything? I mean, it, before you found cycling, you know, you're riding on horses. Were you thinking, "I'm, I'm going to be the next Eric Lamaze"? Is that where you were uh, gunning for? <laughs> yeah, it was a, uh, it was Ian Miller, Captain Canada. Mm-hmm. He came to my pony club when I was uh, quite a young girl, oh, wow. and uh, and that was kind of my first. Uh, meeting with an Olympian and uh, another person from New Brunswick had made it to the Olympics in eventing and uh, yeah so I would have loved to have gone to the Olympics in in horses Uh, but uh, kind of the sooner closer I got to being uh, ready to go to university I realized that a sport that I could take with me to school much more easily was going to be ideal. Do you remember the first competition or event where you competed in and whether you won it or not, where you thought, you know, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to commit to? Oh, um, I mean, I think it was just a given that I wanted to commit to horses because it was just my life. My mom had bred horses. I grew up on a farm. It was just what we did. Uh, In cycling, it was probably, I knew that I always wanted to progress to whatever the next level was, but it was probably going to the Canada Games and uh, feeling kind of intimidated by all the bigger provinces with more cycling infrastructure and actually going and being pretty competitive there and realizing, huh, maybe maybe I could be good at a national level. You mentioned with the Canada Games, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited because here in Winnipeg, we're going to get the Canada Games this uh, year. The one you competed in, where was it at? It was in London, Ontario, and way back in 2001. And do you remember, was that your first, like, major event you competed in? Um... Yeah, I would say so. Um, and it was an interesting one because back at that time, even though I was a mountain biker, we had to compete in all the road events, so I had to do three road events that I was just trying to, <laughs> to get through and stay upright, and then uh, and then we got to the mountain bike race, and it was like, okay, this is this is my calling. Let's go. Uh I mean, I think a lot of listeners, there's so many different variations of every sport now. You know, you mentioned like there's the road races, there's uh, cross country, which you do, there's uh, the, the track ones. What's the, the major difference in the, uh, the cross country that you could let people know about who maybe haven't watched the sport before? Sure, I guess. So cross country mountain biking, there are mastered events. They're 90 minutes in duration. And so we'll do typically about six laps of a four and a half kilometer course. They've become quite uh, technical in terms of not only are we climbing and descending mountains, but where there's often jumps and drop jumps, gap jumps, uh, rock gardens that we're we're descending. And so definitely, it's it's just a combination of so many different elements and terrain that is a a really dynamic sport because every venue you go to can be completely different and it's assessing what the new 
venue is and then uh, just trying to find your your best on that course that's another thing i think growing up watching the olympics i never realized how many differences there could be you know in even even if it is just a regular track you know um but i remember watching cool runnings the first time when i was a kid and the fact that they had to memorize the turns and everything is something that never occurred to me when i was younger watching bobsledding and in cross country, right. I mean, it's got to be even more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there there's so many elements to racing and and competing, and I think that's what makes it so exciting and, and gripping, and why we all tune in. So, how much advance notice do you get uh, before an event where you can see what the course is going to look like? Typically, we arrive about three days beforehand, so we'll get uh, up to three days on the course. And uh, but often that'll include you travel to Europe and you have your day of recovery, and then you hop right onto it. So whether you've traveled forty hours to South Africa and you're learning a course, or uh, you know, uh, we do get to do one World Cup a year in in uh, Canada. And you, well, we mentioned at the beginning of the show here that you're a three-time Olympian now. I mean, we'll kind of go through, I guess, the three Olympic experiences because they were all very different. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one you competed in was Beijing back in 2008. And uh, uh, your position, if I remember right, was uh, you were top 10 finish in that one, right? Yeah, I was fourth in Beijing, nine seconds off bronze. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fourth yep. in Beijing. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, it was top 10 in London than you were in, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Beijing, uh, coming in, I mean, you had probably had like uh, like world championship or something before that. You know, what was your best placing before you got to the Olympics? Um, my base, best placing before the Olympics was actually the last race I won my first World Cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it was only my second year of doing the full World Cup series. So for me, it was like, okay, that was a really good race, but... You know, to do that again at the Olympics, that is a whole other ball game. Mm-hmm. So, for myself, I was going in, and and Team Canada's goal for myself was to do a top five, mm-hmm. and I was actually surprised that they thought that I could do that well because I was still kind of finding my groove. And my teammate Maria Lenpromont, she was a silver medalist from Athens, and she was expected to get the medal, and I just kind of got to ride under the shadow of her success and uh, just went there focused on doing the best that I could on on the day. And uh, a lot of people think that fourth is the hardest medal or the hardest position to get, but for myself, it was actually fantastic. I had this amazing life where I've erased, where I've never felt as focused, and uh, it was just an amazing performance and, and really motivated me for the, not only the next season, but the next quadrennial, and knowing that when I got to London, I felt that I would be ready to, to really go and get a medal. And did you have expectations going into that? Like you said, the, the Team Canada, they wanted you in fifth place. Like that That's interesting just in and of itself when you go into this. Uh, um, obviously, we watch on TV and, you know, Ron McLean or Brian Williams, they'll say, yeah, we're hoping for a top 10 finish here. But is there an official like person who sits there and says, this is where we want you to be? Can you work towards that? Sure. I mean, every sport has to submit to own the podium or medal potential. So every sport organization has an idea of what their athletes are capable and you have to, and it helps determine our funding. So, you know, you want to give an honest reflection of what you do think is possible Mm -hmm. without overselling yourself. And uh, so I think just setting realistic expectations because having expectations helps performance if you, if you don't see it as a as a pressure uh you know you, if you can see it as people believing in you and that you can achieve that mm-hmm. um 
coming out of Beijing, I mean, I think that's gone down in history as being what most people consider the most spectacular games, you know, just for the opening and closing ceremonies. Were you there for both the opening and closing? I've never made it to an opening ceremony. Never? No, I've always, not even with Commonwealth Games or Pan Am Games, uh, mountain biking is typically the second last day of the games. Mm -hmm. So we miss out on that, but I have been to all the closing ceremonies. Mm -hmm. Um. Of the three closing ceremonies you've been to, uh, was there one that stood out for you? Was it Beijing or was it, you know, the... the it was reality? definitely Beijing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you're just so new to the whole experience and I had had this great race that I was really proud of and I could share it with my coach who was also there. It was his first Olympics and uh, so it really felt like this journey we had been on and, and the start of something just really new and exciting and uh, when you're down there, you're on the floor with the performers and they pull you out onto the floor with them at the end of the games and so you really, you're a part of it. You experience it completely differently than people do on TV. On TV, it can often look more spectacular because you see all the fireworks and things, mm. but when you're inside, you can really feel it and you're sharing it with the other athletes and, and that's just something that's just so unique and special. And then moving on from there to London, I mean, you had four-year gap in between there and uh, you had a ton of success from what I understand just between that like you won did you were the uh, World Cup winner in one of those years yeah so uh, going into London I was the reigning world champion I was the World Cup leader and I had three World Cup wins that season mm -hmm. um, 2011 and 2012 were probably my my best result years ever uh, so I was definitely going into London with the expectation of, of winning a medal and, uh, and definitely with the media pressure of will anything less than fourth in Beijing be a disappointment. And uh, I absorbed that mentality too much, <laughs> I guess. Um, you know, more rather than going there and just doing what had helped me get to that point in my career, focusing on just doing your best on the day, stay in the moment and like value your performance. I started only valuing a metal performance and kind of seeing that as the only valuable outcome of the games mm -hmm. and uh, became a much more serious athlete, um, much more, everything has to be perfect to, to, to go right. Um, and it definitely didn't work out as well. Um, the, I had an okay race, but things just kind of fell apart and, I, the way I would describe it is my body just shut down on me in the race, and I'm sure there are physical and, and psychological connections. It's it's definitely, um, they're not separate things that you can tease out, but in the moment it felt completely physical, and uh, I couldn't believe when I crossed the finish line that that was the performance that I had worked towards and, and that I had to wait four years to, if I was lucky, to, to have the chance to, to go back and have an Olympic race that I was really proud of. That's the thing that I find the most uh, fascinating about the Olympics is you know, just right now watching some of the winter sports. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the moguls and every single week you can have a different winner. I mean, you get some people who are just excel and they're, they're first place every time, but you get these events and, and you think about the fact that the Olympics is every four years. And if, if it can change from one World Cup event to another, I mean, how random can the Olympics be and that you can go into it and it just 
for whatever reason, it's not your best performance, like you said. Mm-hmm. And now you have to wait four years. I mean, the the pressure of the Olympics, I mean, what is that like compared to something like a World Championship or a Pan Am Games or Commonwealth Games? It's totally different. It's, it's uncomparable, at least for myself, um, because there's just so much more attention and focus and... Uh, long-term planning for the Olympics that it gets built up as this central event Um, and you know maybe if you're a rower where you do very few events per year and you're used to that schedule of okay let's focus on making this one event the best but for myself just the way my the way that I tick and and the way that my sport is set up is we're more multiple events a season and many chances to, to do your best and and that was the hardest thing is I had been one of the most consistent racers in the world and I expected that consistency on myself and I, I didn't realize that one event could um, kind of get the best of me on the day. And uh, so that was a really tough uh, lesson, but I think it, it helped me in my career in the long run. I think it helped me in Rio uh, in huge measure because a lot of things were going wrong in my race in Rio. I had a, a crash in the first minute mm-hmm. that my gear stopped working and I had one gear until I got to the tech zone. My mechanic fixed it. And uh, it would have been one that if you were focused only on a metal, that you could easily have shut down your race and say, okay, the day's over. But from London, I learned just how important, especially in those high-pressure events, it is to to be focused on the performance you want to have and you can always have that performance that best performance on the day it may not end up in the result that you wish for but you can have that performance so it's just it was just a, ch- a change of focus it's like okay these things are not going right but i can still make the most of today and so that when i cross the finish line i'm not thinking i can't believe i have to wait another four years i can just do what I'm capable of doing and and hopefully that turned out well and it turned out really well (laughs) changing a mindset is that something where you know as soon as London's over you're immediately like okay I know what went wrong you know and maybe it was partly mental or whatever uh or is it something that comes you know as the next season starts or you gain your confidence back slowly through different races Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you ever fully know 100% what went wrong. In London, I'm still I'm still not sure if I, I went in with the... I don't think I had the, my best physical form, and, and there there can be a lot of factors that go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it there's a physical component, there's a mental component, that's, and they're so intertwined that it can be hard to, to tease it out. But you you look at the things that you can change and, and work on and uh, to hopefully give yourself a, a chance to have a better performance the next time. And it, But underperforming does shake your confidence for sure. And so it's kind of, you have to rebuild yourself back up to the racer that you want to be in. And that can take time, definitely. But um, who is actually watching the um, Sochi Olympics and, and seeing a world champion and super consistent racer in skiing just have a bad day that I realized that that's how a lot of people saw my race for me it was this huge thing that I felt was so, such a disappointment to everyone particularly myself but to most people it was like oh she had a bad day that's too bad I, I was hoping for more mm-hmm. for her for her you know not of her and it, it just really helped put things in perspective of you know, it's it's a competition, and it was very important, but it's not everything. And uh, just pick up, move on, and uh, do what you 
just do things as better as well as you can the next time. Mm-hmm. Now, when you finish an Olympics, um, how long of a wait is it before the next season starts? Oh, um, you know, it you have some degree of flexibility, but uh, for example, this year we'll start with World Cups in May, uh, but and we're about almost six months out from Rio now. Um, but I will have some Canada Cup and U.S. Cups before that. But typically we start a little bit later the following year. Um, I think as much to give the officials that have invested so much in the Olympics uh, a little bit of a more time to recoup as for the athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, during your off-season, is this like a full-time training thing? I mean, that's the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, like how much dedication goes into this. So throughout the year how much of your time is spent just in the sport and preparing for it uh yeah definitely i'm training six days a week pretty much 50 days of 50 weeks of the year um i don't take a huge off season uh and partly because i love what i do my husband also rides bikes and so it's as much a, a lifestyle as it is a work and a passion um but definitely i take my fall after the competitive season to still be very active but less structured in my training and that gives you the, the mental break but you're still you're still kind of um my coaches say keeping keeping the top spinning and and just touching on all the systems that you need to have at the ready for when you do start back into heavy training and i think the other thing that's different for every athlete is the level of support or uh, financial support or assistance you receive so i've never really been able to wrap my head around how athletes receive the support they get. Um, How does it work for somebody like you? Yeah, it's completely different for every sport. I'm very lucky in that I'm in a sport that is an amateur professional blend. And so I have been become a professional bike racer. So I am able to earn a salary. Um, Pretty much every athlete that competes at the Olympics in mountain biking is also a professional racer uh, because once you get to a certain level, you get that recognition. Uh, but it is a, a difficult thing because typically in sport, uh, Sport Canada provides carding to athletes that reach a certain performance level. But often it can be, uh, you know, little support until you make it, and then you make it, and then there's support, um, and then and then it comes. You can get support from many different avenues. So um, definitely they're constantly streamlining how the how they want to get support to the athletes and and yeah some people it's just the the monthly stipend from sport canada and and their sport organizations creating opportunities and other athletes do have uh more marketability in their sport and they can maybe pick up a you know a clothing sponsor or shoe sponsor or something that else that helps them continue on in the sport now you mentioned your husband's a cyclist as well is he competitive He's uh, a math teacher by trade, but he is uh, a coach. So he, uh, along with teaching, he coaches seven athletes, and two of which are on the national team. And do you guys ever compete? Like, is is there ever just a, a Sunday afternoon where you're like, let's, let's go for a race somewhere in the woods? Uh, you no, know, not really. Um, he's he's definitely um, instrumental in, in my training, and in terms of he's got a really good eye for technique and and. Uh, as a teacher, he's pretty good at conveying information too. So he's been uh, really helpful 
people on the technical side because I do my coaches based in a, a different city. So he creates my training plan, but my husband's the one with kind of eyes, the daily eyes on how my training's going and, and the little things that I can be doing to fine tune. So it's more of a collaboration than a head to head, but you know, if we're in the same race where they put men and women in together, there's, there's definitely some, uh, uh, more just big talk than, uh, actual going at it. <laughs> I, I have like, um, well, about a year and a half ago, I'll probably mention this in every podcast just so I could feel like an Olympian, but about a year and a half ago, <laughs> I got into running like 5k, 10k half marathons. And now all of a sudden my wife's wanting to get interested and, uh, I've seen other people where they'll run with somebody new, they'll go nice and slow. And she asked me, it's like, would you run with me? I'm like, no, I'll run ahead. And then I'll come back to find you. I mean, right. I think I'm just a little bit too competitive just to, to, yeah. to not let it, uh, not let it be a competition. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. There are stage races where multiple day stage races where we could compete as a, a team, like a co-ed team. But I kind of know that it would be something that we do once I retire because I'm not sure that I would <laughs> be able to dial back my competitiveness. <laughs> I mean, we, we have to jump into the Rio Olympics now. Um, it's funny because as a Canadian, we're, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but as a Canadian, Maybe we get a little bit jaded when it comes to the Summer Olympics. We perform well in the Winter Olympics, and then there have been some disappointments in the past with Canada's performance at the Summer Games. Rio really just, I think, blew every expectation out of the water. Um, Coming into this, you said that with London, you know, there was maybe uh, an expectation that you were going to get a medal position. Was there anything like that this time? Uh, Yeah, you know, I think definitely this time I was more under the radar because my results had been good. I was still world champion in 2014. I had had some, I had actually won the, the World Cup before going into Rio, but there are also some younger, newer people to mountain biking that were really coming in and standing out. So most of the focus was on other women and that I would be considered to be in the mix, um, but not quite the same level of uh, not an assured medal like I was presumed to be in London. And when the race started, you did mention that there was uh, a bit of a mishap right at the beginning. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, explain it to people who haven't seen the race? Yeah, so because our events are mass starts and uh, we have to do a bit of a circuit so that the packing gets spread out more before we enter narrower trails. So we did this small loop and then we're entering the first full lap. We go around a corner and uh, just natural you know if you're driving a car you you slow down when you go into a corner the pack slowed down uh, my wheels crossed with somebody else and I was on the ground and I was uh, I think fifth from last mm-hmm. and so then uh, you go into a climb and I worked my way up as as quickly as I could um, just trying to navigate traffic and and then uh, before we got to the five minute climb my gear stopped working and I had one gear which wasn't a very good gear to to head up this uh, five-minute climb with, and uh, it was definitely definitely pretty tough. But, uh, you know, I knew once I got down to the bottom of the, the descent that we have a tech zone where uh, two times a lap you pass through a tech zone and a mechanic uh, from your nation can work on your bike. So I was able to go in there. My mechanic got my bike fixed really quickly, and I was back out. But by the time I completed the first lap, I was a minute and 15 seconds down or something like that. How long does one lap usually last for? Yeah, it they're typically aimed to be about uh, 15 to 17 minutes a lap. Mm-hmm. When I was talking to Evan Dunphy um, 
a couple of days ago, uh, I thought one of the things that makes this interesting and the same thing with your sport, that being that it is an endurance race, it's not like this one long track. I mean, you have the opportunity to really pass the same crowd over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. With this, I mean, maybe you're going too fast to really notice, but does the crowd factor in at all? Do you have the chance to kind of hear the cheers and, you know, see some of your supporters along the way? Typically, yes. In uh, Rio, I actually thought that my husband didn't make it to the race that he had gone con traffic because I can always hear him on course and I could not hear him. I couldn't find him after the race. (laughs) I was so sad that he didn't make it, but it was just he couldn't get through the crowds and and the security to get to where I was. Um, So pretty much the only person that I could actually hear on the course was my coach. And he knew that getting information to us could be challenging. So he went to the furthest point on the course where he knew the least spectators would go. And he was there to to be giving us feedback. So the whole race, he was uh, giving me, he's like, okay, this race, you brought back a minute 40 gap. You can do this. Keep going. So he kept kept motivating me with uh, experiences that I that I could use to to make a make me feel that a having a good race was still possible. And with uh, this race particular, you mentioned like how uh, there was problems with the gears right near the end. It's interesting watching it on TV. I remember, especially with these longer races, maybe CBC will tune in and out. You know, you'll you'll pick up another event, come back, and everything. And right at the end, what made this so dramatic was I think Canada was waiting for at least that one more medal so we could tie the record that we set to Atlanta. And mm-hmm. what it came down to is you're in third place and your Canadian teammate, Emily Batty, is like right on your tail. Yep. So for Canada at this point, we're excited, I think, because we're like, well, we know it's going to be one or the other. But maybe because we had that story, you know, from you in Beijing and then in London, like this uh, this comeback story in a way, mm-hmm. um, there probably was maybe a little bit more support behind you. What I found most interesting was that at the very end, I mean, it just seemed like this mad rush. I mean, I watched it the other day again with my wife and I'm telling her, like, just watch like the last 30 seconds. And you would think if you're competing against somebody from your own country, you know, it's not going to be as competitive, but it totally wasn't the case. I mean, it seemed like that was the most competitive 30 seconds of your life. Oh, yeah, it was incredibly intense. And what you didn't see on the coverage was that it was that close because I had actually had another crash in the last 200 meters of the course. Um, you know, I, I was right before you come into the stadium, there was a jump and then there was a rock garden. And coming off the jump, I like I was going into it and I was just at, in my head, I was thinking, I've never entered it like this before. And it was a really awkward jump. And then I just was sideways in the air and down on the ground. And all I could think is, oh my goodness, you just threw away a medal. Get up, get up, get up. And so I was in full panic mode. And, uh, you know, then you have no momentum to get this rock garden. And I came into the stadium and I had had 25 seconds. And now I look over my shoulder. And if I don't give everything that I have, I'm going to lose a medal. And, uh, and yeah, so it was incredibly intense moment and just pushing myself as hard as I could to to get to that finish line after working so hard to to make this race what I wanted it to be and uh, and then for Emily who you know everybody dreams of that Olympic medal and so she's coming in she thinks it's gone and then all of a sudden she sees that hey wait maybe this is possible again so as much as your teammates you're also there as as individuals and everyone's trying to have their best performance on the day 
Um, so it's not like a, a team in basketball where you all share the medal. It's, you know, it, it does come down to individual performances. And uh, so, yeah, um, it was 100% being given by both of us. And I mentioned right at the beginning that this basically tied Canada's record. You know, if we don't count Los Angeles, which I mean, you have half the, the nations competing a little bit different, mm-hmm. but record was set back in Atlanta, you know, 22 medals. And it was your medal that tied that record. When did uh, you become aware of that? Or was it something going into it that you were thinking? Or was it just I could win a bronze medal, I could win my first Olympic medal? Or at any point, do you think this is going to be the one that that ties Canadians record? Uh, I didn't know that until after the race. Like, um, you know, there's little things that you can use as motivation, but you don't want to get too fixated on medals either because it can distract you from what you really need to do, and, and that's the performance in the moment. Um, but, yeah, definitely really happy to contribute to that because we had such a successful games, and, and you know, I know that how we perform affects all the sports. If we, the better we do, the more funding it is, the, the more opportunities there are to, to grow our sport. So, um, you know, I was one of the projected medals that didn't help us raise our total in London. And so it was pretty nice to uh, to put a stamp on things in Rio and be like, yep, okay, I got the job done, guys. And, uh, you know, let's celebrate as a team. It was such a phenomenal games from start to finish. Uh, we didn't arrive in Rio until the second week of the games. And just being at home and watching how well everyone's doing, particularly the women, uh, was just this this momentum that you wanted to to do your part to to keep rolling. And I think it is, even though Canada historically has been a winter nation, I think you're just seeing so much variation in in what people are putting their what sports people are putting their kids into now. It's uh, it's so much easier to access different resources and to learn about different sports. The ex- ability to be exposed to uh, different things is just so much greater so now not everyone is putting their kid in in hockey and hoping that their kid is going to be the next nhl star they're they're seeing that there's other options that can be equally gratifying and uh and uh you know investing in those and and i think that's going to help us continue to see success yeah, I mean, I remember back in 2000 uh, in Sydney, I think it was Karen Coburn won for the trampoline. And at the time, Canadians were almost laughing. We're like, the trampoline's a sport. And now Rosie right. McLennan has made trampoline like the hottest sport in the country. I mean, we could yeah. be at this point in four years where there's this huge surge in cross-country cycling. And Catherine Pendrell's the reason why. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, mountain biking in Canada has actually had a... A, a great history of success. We've uh, had two silver medals with Alison Sider and Maria Lynn Pramal. We've never not won gold at the Commonwealth Games, which was a little bit of pressure going into the last one. Um, but yeah, but then I still have, uh, I was traveling through an airport with my Olympic medal and I was in uh, going through Texas or something and, and they pulled it out of my bag. They're like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it's a medal from the Olympics. And they're like, Oh, mountain biking's an, an Olympic sport? <laughs> so you definitely get those good reality checks every once in a while. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a while back about how the expectations change from one game to the other. And I think coming off of Athens, I just remember, I mean, there was huge disappointment with Athens, maybe a little bit with Sydney as well, just with Canada's performance. And 
the own the podium thing really took off from there and you've kind of been right on the tail end of experiencing you know uh the success that we improved from athens to beijing and then to london and then to rio i mean what have you found that it's been like for the country's support and uh, government funding support and everything from one to the other. How has that changed in your three Olympics? Sure. Um, I mean, it's all performance related. So if you're not performing at the top level, you don't necessarily know what wasn't there beforehand. Even though I made it to Beijing, it was it was very much September of 2007 that I realized that, hey, I can be in the Olympic pool for 2008. So I wasn't really connected to how all that sport funding interplayed. Um, I had gotten my first card in, in 2007 to help with my training and living expenses. Um, so for me, uh, because I've increased my performance, the support definitely feels like uh, it's increased. I'm not sure if you talk to all, all the different sports how different that experience would be, but definitely I feel like Cycling Canada has done a really great job since 2008 in restructuring and, and creating this performance environment that has helped us across the disciplines. We've uh, been seeing great success in on track cycling, in our uh, women's mountain bike in particular, and uh, and the road cycling are, are giving greater depth. So, um, you know, I, th I think there have been some really good positive changes, and I know that we will do surveys with on the podium so that athletes from all the different athletes and coaches and staff from all the different sports can be getting their feedback on how the the funding cycles have helped or, or hindered their performances and i know they're reevaluating that going forward um to see if things are on the right track but i definitely think that you're seeing that uh the influx in in support and and funding has been beneficial uh, we're getting more depth in a, a greater variety of sports. And uh, so, yeah, I, I expect we'll continue to, to build on that success. And uh, um, But also, as you know, in uh, sometimes it's, it's just one day, too. And sometimes you can put all these resources and everything into an athlete or a sport, and, and sometimes things just go wrong on the day. And it's, it's also understanding, having a bit of a, a longer-term vision of, um, that the success will come, but sometimes it doesn't always come the day that you want it. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, very tough in a, in a performance on demand environment, but it's, it's part of the process and it'll continue to be fine tuned every quadrennial. And I have to ask uh, pretty much any of the athletes who are in Rio, there was so much bad publicity that seemed to surround the Rio Olympics. And a lot of it, I, I thought, was just the media needing something negative to jump on. And mm -hmm. you get the unfortunate Ryan Lochte's out there who really aren't helping matters. Yeah. But, uh, just what was your personal experience in Rio? How did you find it as a host nation? And my experience there was really fantastic. Um, you know, an athlete is getting messages from their Olympic Federation, like the Canadian Olympic Committee beforehand, telling us the real concerns about Zika or not, the real concerns about the status of the village or not. Um, so I knew going in that the Canadian Olympic Committee had sent in staff that looked at all the wiring and the plumbing and, and everything and that the village was going to be great for us, that um, Zika wasn't going to be a concern. And uh, so I went in there very confident. My family stayed outside of the village and they felt really safe and had a, a great experience there. Um, so, you know, I think the 
Olympics has this power to attract the world's attention, and and some people use that to to um, you know try to to get messages across and and create some drama and some news stories. Uh, but by the time you get there, people are pretty excited to to host, and it's a a really great experience that you find that a country really comes together to to make sure that it is an amazing experience for the people that are there. Now, one thing we just have to go into is kind of a quick fire set of questions just in the closing here. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with it, the, the Olympics Team Canada, they had this Hi, My Name Is questionnaire they gave to several athletes. I'm not aware of that one, actually. <laughs> okay, it's, it's actually quite funny because they gave okay. a couple dozen athletes this questionnaire that they fill out in their own handwriting, and some of them includes pictures and stuff like that. We'll skip the pictures part, but... Uh, uh, you weren't on this, so we get the opportunity. We went through this every single night uh, during the Olympics on our show, and now we get to update it with some new ones here. So okay. we're, we're recycling uh, Hugo Barrett, who is uh, a men's sprint cyclist from the Olympics, his questionnaire here. So first question, the first Olympics I remember watching was? Uh, the first one that really stands out is watching Shonda Crawford win her mm-hmm. uh, ski sprint. Yeah. Um, if I could be any superhero, I would be. Oof, uh, I'll go with Wonder Woman. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite ice cream flavor is. Oh, chocolate chip mint. Uh, this is so funny. I, I think the whole thing with with the Olympics is let's encourage people to be healthy, and then we pe- people get laughed because we have McDonald's as a sponsor, and then these questionnaires. Half of them are about junk food. It's just so funny. To me. But <laughs> it's I guess we all love it. Yeah, you can you can burn it off in what about five minutes at your level. <laughs> we're all real people. Yeah. Um, if I were a baseball player, my walk-up music would be. Oh. <laughs> your cycle-up music. Do you have? Oh, okay. Something? My uh, I'll do another one. Bites of dust. Okay. <laughs> um, the best nickname I've ever been called is. <laughs> Um, World Cup. <laughs> uh, if I weren't an athlete, then I would be uh, a physiotherapist. Uh, is that is that what the future will hold if uh, we don't see you in 2020? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, you know, once you haven't worked a, a regular nine to five job and you're 36, <laughs> it gets harder to embrace that idea. <laughs> I my guilty pleasure snack is oh, so many chocolate <laughs> chocolate covered almonds <laughs> uh, my favorite song lyric is oh um oh. i can't think of one at the moment another one bites the dust again <laughs> well, I'd, uh, i kind of like cheesy 90s music so yeah. um pump up the jam might be might be a good one for me my brother would definitely agree <laughs> um what would the cool? Okay, this one was supposed to be a picture, but if you could describe, like, just what the coolest Olympic medal would look like, what would it look like? The one that I have. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> it's beautiful. Hugo, for some reason, drew what looks like a sun with a smiley face. I don't oh. know what that's supposed to be. Um, the most recent TV show that I binge watched is. Oh, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I, you know, I watched that show in the early seasons, um, and for whatever reason, maybe because it, 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 there was no binge watching at the time when it was on TV, and now everybody yeah. I know is telling me to get back into it, like, what, 12 seasons in? Is it really it's, hold up? 
Uh, it's 12 seasons. I don't know. You just get addicted to the characters. And when you have to spend a winter riding a bike indoors, mm. you know that you will never run out of material if you have 12 <laughs> seasons. <laughs> um, my favorite video game is? I, well, okay, this is dating me, but I don't really play them. So Tetris back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's still probably more popular than... It's still addictive. <laughs> and uh, final question. I can't live without... Oh, good coffee. Oh. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't chocolate for once. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that would also be there, but if I had to choose one. <laughs> uh, just wrapping up here, I mean, you, you said you're still up in the air about uh, where you're going to be for Tokyo, but you are competing. Uh, mm-hmm. How can people follow you right now to uh, see where you're at, where you're competing, where you're training, and what you're up to? Sure. Um, uh, like every athlete, I'm on social media. So I'm Instagram and Twitter as C Pendrel. And uh, I'm on Facebook as Catherine Pendrel Mountain Bike. And uh, yes, those are probably the best ways to follow along. And if you were to compete in Tokyo and you do upgrade to the gold, would you at least promise on this show that you would live tweet an episode of Grey's Anatomy here on Off the Podium? <laughs> sure if it happens then we'll, we'll, we'll cover it we promise perfect i will do that um and definitely that is uh you know you're super satisfied with your bronze and then but then you do start thinking be like oh but what if it yeah. is enticing to go back to tokyo and <laughs> see if you can one or two up it yeah i mean that's probably where michael phelps was at this time I mean, everybody said he was retiring last time he said he was retiring and he came back you know you just you, you I would guess as an athlete, it would be hard to walk away because you always feel like, can I do even better? Even if you've won the gold, can I beat my own record? And so on. Yeah, and sport is just so much a part of your life that it's hard to imagine not working that hard for something or, you know, in, in that something that you really enjoy also. And if Tokyo doesn't happen, then, you know, 2020, you got your own physiotherapy clinic. Emily Batty, she wipes out. She needs a little bit of uh, help recovering from an injury. Then she knows where she can go. You, you have a career <laughs> exactly. in sports no matter what. Well, you know, I would love to, even if I'm not competing there, I would love to be in Tokyo as some part of the support staff. And just, I have a lot of uh, Olympic experience and I would love to see another Canadian be able to experience what I did in Rio. Yeah, and we can hit 23 medals next time. Who knows? Exactly, or more. Let's go yeah. for more. <laughs> but if you're in Tokyo, then we know we're hitting 23 medals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show today and to talk about all three of your Olympic experiences. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Colin. And thank you again to Catherine Pendrill and to all of our other guests. As I said earlier, this is our first round of interviews we had. Uh, Evan Dunphy started off for Canada, and then Ben had a couple of uh, Australian interviews with Lydia Lassala, Kim Brennan, Tom Burton. And we do have more that we're hoping to bring you pretty soon, uh, as well as a preview of the 2018 Winter Olympics. For that, we will be bringing Jared back as well. You haven't heard from him since Rio. So all three of us do hope to have a preview episode of that soon. And as I said, stay tuned because there will be more interviews to come. We have a few that we're lining up and we're hoping to actually talk to some of the Winter Olympians that might be appearing next year. Uh, So that's something to get ready for. We do continue to encourage you to like us on Facebook book and subscribe to the show and thank you once again for joining us on off the podium